Clinton, the White House. A shooting at a Southern California office building that killed four people on Wednesday was no random act of violence, that according to police in the city of Orange. Wall Street closed for Good Friday. This is SRN News. W262CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Why would you give your life to the Lord for overseas missions? Why would you do that? Some of us need to be reminded of that. We're afraid of that. I can't give my life to the Lord for overseas missions because life is all about enjoying the comforts in America. And more than that, I can't give up my children. I can't give up my grandchildren for overseas missions. Sure you can, if you understand that this life is not all there is. Welcome to Verse by Verse. As a missionary myself, what Pastor Steve Kreloff just said really resonates with me. I read that many years ago, the old Standard Oil Company offered an enormous sum of money to a missionary in China to work for them, to help with the development of Standard Oil in China. The missionary turned them down, so they doubled the salary offer. He turned them down again. They said, what do you want? We can't give more money than that. He said, the money doesn't have anything to do with it. The job is too small. For genuine Christ followers, what matters most is the life that is to come, the life that will never end, the life that follows the resurrection. Hi, I'm Jerry Peterson. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff, teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We usually think of Jesus' resurrection as a historical event and as a promise of what is to come. But how often do we think about how it affects our lives right now? Over the past two days, Pastor Steve has shared how the resurrection of Christ should impact the conversion of unbelievers and the courage of believers. Today, we will continue that discussion of courage and then move on to Pastor Steve's concluding point, the resurrection's influence upon our conduct. If you have your Bible, open it to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31. In the previous verse, the Apostle Paul had said that he was in danger every hour. Why would he live like that? Was he a thrill seeker? Here's Pastor Steve to answer those questions and more. Now, Paul isn't saying live foolishly. Don't take ridiculous risks, but live for Christ. It may cost you your life, and if it does, it's all right, because there is a future. Don't hold on to life too dearly, is what Paul is saying. That's exactly how he lived. Remember when he was going to to go to Jerusalem, the Spirit said that he was going to be bound and suffer and and imprisoned in Jerusalem, many of Paul's friends pleaded with him not to go, and he said that he had to go to finish his course. He had to be obedient. He said in Acts chapter 20, his life was of no concern to himself. Paul was a slave of Jesus Christ, and he lived always with the thought to die is gain. Paul actually lived this type of courageous life all the time not infrequently. Notice verse 31. He said, I affirm, brethren, lest anyone, and I think he's doing this, lest anyone say, oh, Paul, that's an exaggeration. You really don't live in danger every hour. He says, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you. This is, this is an oath he's taking, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I die daily. My life is at risk every day. Moffat translates it this way. Not a day 
but I am at death's door. I swear it by my pride in you, brothers, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul lived that way every day, and then he gives an illustration of his suffering. Verse 32. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? Now let's stop there. In other words, he's saying, if there's no hope of the resurrection, then why would I risk my life with wild animals at Ephesus? Certainly not for money and fame like others would do who had no hope in the resurrection. There has to be something more than that. You say, I'm not that stupid that I'm going to risk my life with wild lions for money or fame. I wouldn't do that. Now, what is he talking about? We're not exactly sure, but we do know that when Paul was in Asia, Asia Minor, he says, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he thought he was going to die. This may very well be what he's talking about because Ephesus is in what was then called Asia Minor. Today, we call it the country of Turkey. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Verses 8 and 9, Paul says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Paul said, I thought I was going to die. In fact, he was so sure of it in verse 9, he said, Indeed, we have the sentence of death within ourselves. Paul said, I pass sentence. I looked at the circumstances and I made this conclusion. I am a condemned man. I'm going to die. I'm not getting out of this Alive. That was Paul's conclusion. He said, indeed, we have the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves. God put us in this place so that we would lose all confidence in our own creativity and ingenuity to talk our way out of this. He said, but our trust was not in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Now, Paul is somewhat vague about that. We are not told in this passage what that conflict was. However, in Acts chapter 19, Paul does speak about being in Ephesus and a riot broke out. People were hurt, they were dragged, they they wanted to attack Paul. That may very well be what Paul is referring to after he preached the gospel. Some in Ephesus saying, you know what, this man is killing our business. What was their business? Making little idols, making idols of their false gods. Obviously, if people are getting converted, they're not really looking, you know, the market for false idols goes down. So they said, this man's destroying our our income. So a riot happened. Now, it may very well be that Paul is referring to that. If that's the case, then he is saying that he fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, meaning he was engaged in a fight with enraged men who acted like wild beasts. Or it may be something else that we just don't know about, that Paul actually perhaps was thrown in an arena with physical, savage beasts. Now, why should any of us courageously serve the Lord? Simply because that's what, not only Paul, but that's what Christ calls us to. Do you realize that? Jesus didn't call people to simply believe on him. Jesus called people to forsake all, to follow him. Jesus called people to a life of self-denial, to a life of sacrifice, to be willing to suffer for his sake, to risk our lives for him, to be abused for him, to lose our reputations for him. Jesus said 
that if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. The cross is not a difficult burden you have in this life. People say, oh, that's your cross to bear. It's not at all what Jesus was talking about. We ought to be careful. It's really making light of something very serious. The cross that Jesus was talking about was the cross that led to death. It was a man carrying the wooden beams in which the Romans put you on and crucified you. Jesus said, you can't be my disciple unless you are willing to die for me. You can't be my disciple unless you are willing to even abandon father and mother for me. He went on to say, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? That's, That's all in the context of Matthew 16. That's what discipleship is. It is living courageously, willing to die for Christ. Why would you do that unless there's a future resurrection? Why would you do that? It'd be nonsense. Why would you give your life to the Lord for overseas missions? Why would you do that? Some of us need to be reminded of that. We're afraid of that. I can't give my life to the Lord for overseas missions because life is all about enjoying the comforts in America. And more than that, I can't give up my children. I can't give up my grandchildren for overseas missions. Sure you can, if you understand that this life is not all there is. You see... It's not about our happiness. It's not about our happiness. That's the message we hear today, even in churches. It's all about you. It's all about your felt needs. So if you're married to someone who it's not a good marriage, get rid of them. Get rid of them because really it's your happiness. Your happiness is what's most important. That's not what the Bible teaches. How we live today is not about our happiness. It's about honoring Christ, and someday we're going to stand before him and give an account. So live courageously. That's precisely why Paul closed chapter 15 with these words, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then he didn't stop there. He said, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. This life is not all there is. Give your life to the service of Christ, whether you're called in full-time work or not. Serve him with courage. If they take your life, they take your life. Eternity looms before us. To die is gain. Otherwise, you have wasted your life trying to protect it. Paul told the Romans in Romans 8:18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's to be revealed to us. This life isn't all there is. So be courageous. Years ago, an atheist penned these words. I read it because this atheist has more insight than many Christians have. And here's what he said. And it was used, by the way, these words I'm about to read to you were used to encourage the famous Englishman, C.T. Studd, to abandon his riches He was a very famous cricket player in England and a very, very, very wealthy man. He left it all to go to the mission field. Here's what the atheist said. If I firmly believed, as millions say they do, that the knowledge and practice of religion in this life influences destiny in another, then religion would mean to me everything. I would cast away earthly enjoyments as dross, earthly cares as follies, and earthly thoughts and feelings as vanity. Religion would be my first waking thought. 
And my last image before sleep sank me into unconsciousness. I should labor in its cause alone. I would take thought for the morrow of eternity alone. I would esteem one soul gain for heaven worth a life of suffering. Earthly consequences would never stay my hand or seal my lips. Earth, its joys and its griefs would occupy no moments of my thoughts. I would strive to look upon eternity alone and on the immortal souls around me, soon to be everlastingly happy or everlastingly miserable. I would go forth to the world and preach to it in season and out of season, and my text would be, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You see, even an atheist knows, at least this atheist did, that belief in eternity affects the way we live today. Have courage. So the resurrection affects two areas of life. Number one, conversion. The conversion of others. Number two, it affects our courage. There is a third area that Paul speaks of, and that is the resurrection affects our conduct, meaning our moral conduct. Notice verse 32 again, and I'll read the whole verse now. Paul says, if from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? So you make some money, you're famous. Well, what does it profit me? doesn't. But then notice he says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. What he's saying is, if there is no future resurrection, then why are you restraining the flesh today? Why would you do that? Indulge your flesh in every way because there's no reason to live a life of holiness. If there's no life after death, then why should we live differently than the world? Why would we do that? Folks, that is the way the world lives. And we understand that because the world just looks at life as be happy. Today, make up your happiness. And I said before, that is sadly the way many Christians live. It's all about earthly enjoyment. They live for that. Now, there's nothing wrong in enjoying the pleasures of this world. There is everything wrong in living for the pleasures of this world and thinking that that's what you deserve and and making the pleasures of this world an idol. So what Paul is saying is this. If we have no future life to look forward to, then at least enjoy this present life. Eat, drink, enjoy. That's all there is. That is the philosophy of the world. This is the heart of secular humanism. This is the philosophy of our world. In response to this, Dr. Charles Hodge, who was a great theologian, commented on this verse by saying this, the natural consequence of denying the doctrine of the resurrection involving as it does the denial of the gospel and the consequent rejection of all hope of salvation is to make men reckless and to lead them to abandon themselves to mere sensual enjoyments. If man has no glorious hereafter, he naturally sinks toward the level of the brutes whose destiny he is to share. Think like an animal, live like an animal. Isn't that our world? That's the world we live in. That's the world of belief in evolution. That's the world that rejects God. It is a pleasure-seeking world. Why? Because from their perspective, there is no tomorrow. From our perspective, we will stand before Christ someday and give an account of how we live. Now, that's not the only motivation 
that we ought to have in the Christian life. Paul said to the Corinthians, the love of Christ constrains me, meaning Christ's love for me compels me to to live in obedience. But one of the strong motivations in the Christian life is that our moral conduct should honor him because we'll give an account someday of how we lived. Paul is simply saying that if you believe that there's no resurrection, then you Corinthians have to live any way you want. But that is obviously not the way of Christ because Paul goes on to warn the Corinthians in verse 33. He says, do not be deceived. Don't be led astray by this silly thinking. Bad company corrupts good morals. In other words, don't be led astray by this false philosophy of life that denies the resurrection and says, live any way you want. The word, by the way, for deceived means to be led astray. And it's interesting, we get our word planet from this word, the thought being a wandering planet or or star. You're just wandering away from the truth. That's what the Corinthians were doing. And they they were deceived because they kept company with people who were filling their hearts and minds with heresy about the resurrection. And, and Paul is warning them, do not be deceived by this. You're keeping company with people who are corrupting you and your thinking. Listen, the people you and I hang with, the people we hang with affect the way we live. Now, you may say, well, I don't hang with, with people who deny the resurrection like the Corinthian. That's probably true. But, but who are your closest friends? What books are you reading? Do you read most? Because they're your friends. They're your company. Who, who are the people you, you are influenced by the most? What are the TV shows that you love to watch? What are the online websites that you go to? Because, folks, that's the company you're keeping. Whatever the philosophy is of those people, those shows, those sites, those books, radio shows you listen to, things of that nature, that's going to impact you. That's going to impact you, whatever you expose yourself to. So be careful. Be very careful. Don't let the culture dictate what you believe. That's what the Corinthians did. And and, and that's why Paul goes on not only to warn them, but to tell them how to escape this. Notice verse 34. He says, become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. What does he mean here? He says, get your conduct in order. Shake off this heresy of denying the resurrection. Come to your senses. Stop living impure lives because of your, your heretical view about the resurrection. And then he said, it's bad enough that you're hanging around with people who have a negative influence on you, but to your shame, to your shame, some of these folks aren't even Christians, aren't even Christians. They ought to be ashamed because while the Corinthians should be reaching out with the gospel to their culture and people in their culture, instead, the people in their culture were reaching into the church and influencing the church. Paul says you ought to be evangelizing them. Instead, they're evangelizing you. I speak this to your shame. Now, as we bring this to a close, let's think about this. Are you being negatively influenced by the culture that you live in? That's really the problem that the Corinthians had. A culture that says, live for today's pleasure. I urge you folks to have a renewed mind as believers in Christ. 
those of you who are believers in him, to understand that for a believer, life is about living for Christ. It's not about your self-esteem. It's not about your self-fulfillment. That's called idolatry. The Bible calls us to put away all God's but Christ, and to live for him. And if you live for him, you'll understand that the truth of the resurrection ought to impact conversions. People ought to look at our lives, especially as we face death and be impacted. The way we live today, courageously serve the Lord with with absolute abandonment. He is a sovereign God. If they take your life, and they take your life. It is in God's sovereign care. Jesus said that no one, no one can d- determine when they will die. Only, only God can. Jesus said, who by worrying can add a single, a single moment to his lifespan? All that's ordained by God. If not, then God's not God, is he? And then not only be courageous, but make sure your moral conduct is in accord with the word of God, not the culture you live in. The culture you live in says, eat, drink, be merry for tomorrow you die. Jesus says, live for me, for tomorrow you stand before me. Let's bow for prayer. If you don't know the Savior, and you need to understand that there is coming a day in which you will stand before him, not as a believer giving account of how you live for him, but you'll stand before him as an unbeliever in which he will sentence you to eternity in hell. But it doesn't have to be, because Christ died for sinners just like you, just like me. And he invites you to come to him for salvation, even as I, in his place as his ambassador today, urge you to come to Christ. There is a resurrection. This life is not all there is. There is a future. Christ paid the price, the full price in dying for sinners. His resurrection proved that God the Father was pleased and satisfied. He accepted it. What you need to do is accept Christ. What does that mean? It means that not not that you pray a prayer of salvation or you walk an aisle and say a few words. It means that as God has worked in your heart, you are convicted of your sin. You know you're a sinner. You know you deserve judgment. You know that you have, you have not obeyed him. You've been a rebel against him in attitude and thought and in, in word and deed. You deserve judgment, but you want to forsake your sin. You want to forsake living for yourself, and you're willing to give it all up to trust Christ alone as Savior who died for you and surrender to him as Lord. Jesus calls us to follow him, not simply to say a sinner's prayer. I urge you to do that. I urge you to come to Christ today before it's too late. Father, thank you for this unique passage of scripture, Lord. I pray it will impact our lives. You often said, Lord Jesus, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So I pray that we will hear the truth We will be different because of it, and that we will live, Lord, in light of this glorious truth of the resurrection. Lord, we thank you that death could not keep you. We thank you that you are greater than death. You have conquered death, and thus we can face today and tomorrow and forever with confidence 
in you, knowing that we can be in your presence and will be in your presence because we will never be condemned for our sins. I pray for those who don't know you, Lord, open their hearts. Only you can. Pray you'll open their hearts. And for those of us who know you, Lord, help us to apply these truths to our lives and and live the way you want us to live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The words of the old Gaither song, Because He Lives, come to mind just now. I love the chorus. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds the future, and life is worth the living just because He lives. The resurrection makes a difference to our future, and it makes a difference right now. This is Verse by Verse, and you've been listening to Pastor Steve Kreloff, teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you just accepted Pastor Steve's invitation to trust in Christ, I hope you'll tell someone about it right away. And if you're not already attending a Bible teaching church, I encourage you to find one near you. In fact, if you just made that decision or if you have questions about how you can know that you have eternal life, we would love to hear from you. You can call us at 727-441-1714.